0: Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Hi guys, today we're speaking with Jen LeBlanc, a scientist turned tech marketer and the founder of both Think Results Marketing and the
1: Changing Tides movement. Jen shares her unique and inspiring story on how she founded her businesses, as well as some unmissable advice on how to have a successful campaign or product launch. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please go to iTunes or
0: Spotify and leave us a review. It'll help us reach so many more inspiring women. And also, we just love hearing what you think. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hi, Jen. How are you today?
2: I am excellent. How are you?
0: So good. And where are you calling in from?
2: I am calling in from north of Seattle. I live on a small island called Whidbey Island in the middle of Puget Sound. So I am completely surrounded by water, beaches, and a lot of wind.
1: That (laughs) sounds incredible,
2: actually. It is. It's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. But you're currently packing, aren't you? Because you're moving.
2: I'm moving to Canada. Yeah, at the end of this month, we are heading to Canada. That's a long story. But, you know, with the border being closed with COVID, and I'm the only child and pretty much the only parent, except for my second husband, step-parent of my daughter. They're both my daughter and mother in Canada, and it's just... With a two week quarantine, it just isn't workable.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're going back yeah. to be with family basically?
2: I was born in Canada, yeah. Okay. I've been here now in the U.S. for 26 years, mostly in Silicon Valley. and I left Silicon Valley two years ago to be closer to my mom because I could just
0: catch pop a quick over the border here yeah. right,
2: and be there. But now I can't. I got to go. Like, we we arrive on the 1st, and then we can't leave our little Airbnb for two weeks. Mm. I've got my food all packed. You know, like yeah. canned oranges, canned pears. We can't take fresh food over the border, and we can't go shopping or anything.
0: There are so weeks. many people out there who have not seen their family during the entire mm. COVID pandemic because mm. of international border restrictions. It I is really not seen sad. I've my daughter in
2: 18 months. And by the time it, I see her wow. this summer, it'll be two years. She's twenty. She'll turn twenty-three next few
0: weeks. That All has months. got to be so and hard. So for ten
2: percent of her life, I have not seen her. Oh, wow.
0: that is so hard. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys will I make up for this. it. Yeah, you guys will make up yeah. for it.
2: You know. Yeah. She okay. just got a new job at a startup, so I'm super excited for her. Oh, in Vancouver. did she? Maybe she moved out to Vancouver. Yes. Oh, yes.
0: and she's in Vancouver. How jealous! I'm so jealous. She <laughs> isn't.
2: She's in Ontario, <laughs> but we are going to be uh, heading okay. to Vancouver, and so I'm hoping that she might, you know sail northward or westward to, well, it's a bit north and west, but mostly west to Vancouver and to be with the rest of us because she's been Mm -hmm. out there by herself.
1: Okay, so tell us about your journey then. So you obviously you' born in Canada and then you made your way to Silicon Valley. so let's let's hear this. This sounds like an exciting tale.
2: <laughs> tell us everything. Yeah, that's I've tried to encapsulate this into a smaller story, but basically I was a researcher in Canada, master's degree in aquatic biology. I was doing research in the Great Lakes. And the short version of the story is when I moved to the U.S., I couldn't work for a little while. I've always wanted to be a writer and do – well, writer when I was a kid. Now, why does communications work? And I thought, well, I have this time, so let's see if this works. Yeah. And it definitely worked. By the time that six months was over, I was uh, writing – ghostwriting for doctors from UC Davis in the paper. I was uh, interviewing researchers all over the world for – Discovery Channel online. That was super fun. Cool. I was writing a newsletter for the Puda Creek Council to restore water, nice and fish runs, which has now been restored. I'm in the Sacramento Valley Basin. I was I was editing the Davis Food Co-op, which is sort of food as politics. Um, that was really fun too, and just all kinds of writing and communications work. Nice. I, thought, I love this. I love this, and a lot of it was. Environmental science, not technology yet, because I didn't even know what tech was at that point in my early 20s. And then I moved to the Bay Area, and literally a friend said, I need you to take this job because my boss, who is crazy, and I missed that phrase, that <laughs> my boss, who is crazy, won't let me leave this job until I find my own replacement. She yeah. do this with your eyes shut. So I took that job out, what was then PeopleSoft? And fell in love with tech marketing with a crazy boss, but that's a whole other story. But <laughs> I totally fell in love with tech marketing, and I just have been doing it ever since.
1: What was it that made you love it?
2: Um, I think it's a lot of similarity with what I was doing and what I loved about the science work that I was doing. Hmm. I get to sit with scientists. I worked a lot of biotech and farm work. So scientists, technologists, engineers, brilliant people who are creating. Amazing things that don't exist, they can see the future and I get to see through their eyes what they see and then translate what the heck they're doing. <laughs> for the normal. <laughs> to the rest of the world. Yeah,
0: for everyone who doesn't Hi. understand. That is cool. That's a cool way to look I at love it. that. Yeah. You know, and
2: that was a lot of what my work was as a scientist was reading about other scientists and what they had done and try to put together a vision from their collective wisdom That would inform our research. Mm. So it's the same thing, really. It's just way more fun because that required a lot of lab work.
0: Yeah. It's like – it's really like storytelling what you're doing. You're listening to the things that are happening, breaking it down into a story that people can understand and then, you know, kind of disseminating that story into the market.
2: Exactly, Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a privilege, right? I get to sit at the feet of these brilliant individuals. Sometimes can't really communicate very well, but that's okay. They don't need to. That's what they have me for, right? Mm -hmm. So they just talk. I ask questions and more questions and more questions. And most of what I ask them doesn't end up in the communications that I do. But those communications are richly informed because I know how to do research. I know Mm -hmm. how to dig into things. And I get to a deeper level so that there's a solidity in the work that I do because it's informed by that technical knowledge yeah beautiful i
1: think there's a misconception that marketing is like a creative thing when actually it's very scientific and it's quite data-driven especially nowadays um so i bet actually your scientific background really helped to propel you in that would you say that was correct
2: i mean it definitely helped especially in a couple areas one when i was working with researchers or when i'm working with researchers they're much more likely. Like when I would call up these scientists all over the world, like called up the scientist who was doing air quality research when I was doing Discover Channel Online. Mm-hmm. I read all of his papers and I had 45 minutes with him. And he told me not only the research that he's working on now that was just published that I'm supposed to write about, but all of his ideas that he has yet to implement. Mm-hmm. He never would have told me those things if I hadn't said, look, I'm a scientist, I've done research, I've published, I understand. There's yeah. kind of an unspoken rule of... You know what I'm saying, you're not going to publish what I tell you, but it helped to make that article, which was you know 700 words, mm. that much richer because I could sort of telegraph yeah. some of the things he was planning on. And then I remember once at one of my, now a client, but one of my employers, I, they had a setup so that not only did we have open, you know, offices, there were four of us to each pod, which was so distracting. Hmm. But four people in each pod, and they put me, marketing, doing a launch, in with three of the senior scientists. Okay. So there's like faxes and FedEx packages and deliveries and my cell phone and my desk phone and, you know, talking all the time. And they're, you know, they don't talk, right? They just sit at their computers and type. Things talk.
0: scientists don't talk <laughs> you mean they, they don't, don't make talk. like conversation like social conversation no.
2: okay no you know they would go to the lab and they would bring back their lab books and they would write in their notebooks and they type in their computers they didn't talk and like <laughs> i was in the middle of doing a launch so not only was it marketing it's like crazy time right yeah right yeah. so there would be like 17 people in my cube on any given day yeah so after about a week they were like um is this how things normally are with you? I said, what do you mean? (laughs) They said, the the amount of activity and talking. I said, "Uh, yes. (laughs) uh (laughs) And they said, okay. And they picked up their lab books and I didn't see them for like a month. (laughs) they went to work in the lab because it was quieter oh my god you know
0: it's the the thing about a campaign launch is you spend about a month of everyone asking you questions every Mm. hour on the hour someone's got a new question
2: Mm, (laughs) it's like you know (laughs) so you can't you can't be alone it was crazy it was crazy and then they did come back one day at lunch to get their lunches or whatever and And it was sort of a, I would say, a scientist, non-scientist, male, female kind of challenge experience. And they started talking about the pig they were dissecting that morning Mm -hmm. in great detail. (laughs) And I said, oh, I said, well, what is it that you were exactly looking for in that dissection? And then they started to add some more gory details. And and what exactly is that? What are you looking for? What's your hypothesis? Yeah. So they answered my question sort of high level. And I said, oh, and that means da 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 or da 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 And they all looked at each other, there's three of them. They all looked at each other and like, where are you from? <laughs> I said, um, here? They said, no, no, what's your background? You are not a marketing person. I said, I have a <laughs> master's degree in biology. They said, whoa. <laughs> so then they started telling me what their research was about, right? And so I think having that background... It enables me to quickly gain trust
1: mm. because
2: there's this perception of like marketing people and technical people and never the two shall meet
1: yeah. And also I love that that's like one of those badass moments where your knowledge is power and that you can like yes. surprise people that's always so well, I can tell like
2: this was <laughs> definitely like a macho thing right? I mean, like, <laughs> yeah I but it's I was genuinely curious
0: Yeah. I think marketing, because it is seen as a creative profession, especially, you know, 10, 20 years ago, it was seen as like almost like a coloring room, Mm -hmm. you know, like they make, they make things pretty and they come up with pretty stuff. Yeah, exactly. Whereas it's quite strategic and it's Mm -hmm. actually, it takes Mm -hmm. a business mindset and also a creative mindset, which not a lot of people have, you know, in Mm -hmm. the same brain. Exactly. So
2: exactly. And so being able to sort of pull that out, you know, doing the badass moment as I need to, can really help with that credibility, which then allows them to open up, which allows me to make my work richer. So it just works all all around.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so what happened after this phase? What did you do next?
2: <laughs> so then I launched uh, the largest division of PeopleSoft. I was given the classic guy opportunity of, I looked like I could do the work. Here, go do this. Huh. I said, I don't, I don't know how to do this. And my EVP, still a mentor of mine, adore him, said, that's fine, you'll figure it out. Go tell me how much money you need and how many people you have four days. <laughs> So I locked myself in my office and freaked out for about three hours. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to launch, you know, a billion dollar organization. I've never done this before. I'm a scientist. I don't know what I'm doing. So I thought, okay, enough of that whining. Let's figure this out. How do you approach any problem? You research it. Mm. So I started researching. I started asking people. Four days later, I'm like, I need this many people. I need this much money. Let's go. And he's like, that's a lot of money. And I'm like, do you want this done or not? <laughs> And he said, fine, you can have it. So went and did it, wildly successful launch, and um, drove you know, millions of dollars of new revenue into PeopleSoft. And then I went to Nectar, which is a biotech company, and launched Nectar as a, as a brand. And then I thought, I just want to do this. Mm. This is really fun. It's very chaotic, that part I'm not so crazy about, but it is very chaotic, but it's also, there's a a large part of every launch that is, and I don't know, (laughs) there's a lot of unknowns in a launch as opposed to kind of the everyday marketing that you do. Yeah. And so I thrive in that, in that sort of unknown area Mm -hmm. and putting structure to chaos is something I have discovered. I have an amazing talent at. So Mm -hmm. the launch process was, intellectually challenging, which is something I was going after. Mm -hmm. And then it drives significant results when it's done properly. And so I was like, I just want to do this. And I'm like, I either have to go to like Cisco, which I don't really like big companies, or Mm -hmm. I got to do this outside of companies. So I decided to start my own business. Mm -hmm. Also, I'd gotten to a level where it was clear to me that the compromises, we'll leave it at that, that I would have to make to become a VP Mm -hmm. in corporate were not deals I was willing to make yeah yeah and so I was like and I was basically a single mother to my child even though I was married to my first husband so as a single mother you know I did everything for her as well as raise the money mm. and I thought I can't like the way the VP level is structured in corporate I can't do both
0: and what year was
2: this can I ask <clears throat> yeah that was 19 uh, what was it I um, <laughs> We think now ninety eight, so that was two thousand and three. Yeah, two thousand three okay. when I started Think Results.
0: So early two thousands, yeah. Do you think mm-hmm. it's changed? Do you think you would have to have, you know, because you talked a lot about balancing your responsibilities with being a mom, being a provider, being a, like so many women feel that today. You know, oh, yeah. I I know I do. Um, do you think it's changed, or do you think a lot of women are still starting their own thing because corporates kind of unreachable with all of those
2: responsibilities um that's a loaded question so it, i think yes yeah. <laughs> just your perspective <laughs> i i do think that some things have changed yeah um, you know certainly the research and the numbers from the pandemic are showing that women are you know quitting corporate it's like what three in four women are at risk of leaving their corporate jobs this year because of the pressures of either elder care yeah. or child care during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that in female founders as well. Yeah, They're just saying, screw it, dropping the business and going to get a job in corporate, which is kind of funny because it's like, okay, these women are leaving hmm.
0: and then the right. founders are going
2: into cor- like It's this weird circle that's happening.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, we
2: see the, f- the funding going down for women down to 2017 numbers again. Yeah. So... <laughs> I wish I could say, I mean, my mother's been in this business for years. She's a human rights um, investigator in Canada and has written the human rights code in Canada, part of it. Um, And she's like, my arms are tired from holding up this sign, honey. Oh my god! Holding up since 1965. Yeah,
0: I I saw this meet. Like I went to the Women's March on Washington uh, back in Mm -hmm. 2017. Um, Yes, like in the one in Washington, and I. Oh, that's amazing! I was
2: going to, but I left the country.
0: It was (laughs) uh, well. I did that too. But before I did that, I (laughs) I went there. Um, But it was so insane to see women who Mm -hmm. were like in their 60s and 70s. Out there Mm -hmm. protesting or like, you know, advocating for women's rights. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I cannot believe I am still talking about the same shit mm. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like yes. why why how have we not made any progress
2: or if we are yes. slipping back or whatever it is so it's and I interesting think we have made some progress yeah it's been really small mm. and i did i yeah. went to the women's march in san jose and you know same thing there's all these like you know berkeley hippies you know, yeah inside me
0: yeah um, it's interesting i yeah. think the men of my generation a lot of them are a lot more woke
2: than mm. you know yes. like my
0: boss is my age you know, um, Mm -hmm. and he's just like a tech savant, right? And Mm -hmm. I run a big department for him and he's basically, you know, a whole division within his team. And he basically is like, Nat, you're in your third trimester of pregnancy. I need you to chill out. Like, (laughs) I need (laughs) you to work less hours. Mm -hmm. I need you to calm down, you know, which is is refreshing Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. even I think in the early 2000s, people would say, well, if she can't hack it. Maybe she should just be a stay-at-home mom. You know, like it would yeah <laughs> it wouldn't be
1: stigma against g- yeah working and being pregnant. But oh, now right.
2: it's like Oh yeah, frustrated. I mean when I when I mm-hmm. interviewed for that crazy boss job, one of the questions she asked me since I had a child at the time was, um, was I planning on having more children? Really? Oh, wow. It's illegal to ask that question here.
1: Was it then? I,
0: I
2: know. Huh. Yes, it was. And I at that moment I was like, oh, Okay. Uh Do I point out to her that this is wildly illegal and Mm. inappropriate anyways, even if it's not illegal? You know, my family status has nothing to do with the job. Or my Mm.
0: capabilities or my dedication to the job or my productivity rate. That's It was really interesting. I remember specifically I was a single mom for eight years. And I remember specifically not mentioning my children at all in job interviews, like even when people would start talking about theirs and kind of suggest yeah, that they and I would specifically I'd be like, oh, that's That's nice, and like Mm -hmm. move it back onto a business subject Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I didn't want to not get the job because I had children, Mm -hmm. and I was so Mm -hmm. scared. I had no
2: pictures of my child in my office. Um, I mean, people would know, but I would never discuss her. Yeah, and and there's Mm -hmm. a whole thing about you know the invisible children for women because we have to make our children invisible, whereas the men have these you know proud pictures of their kids. There were no pictures of my daughter anywhere. You would not find her on my screensaver. You would not find her anywhere in my office. That's crazy.
0: Wow. So you, you started your own thing basically because of all these cultural conditions. Like you, you didn't think, I mean, did you just get sick of it one day? Were you saying like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) I want to be a full human.
2: There was, (laughs) yeah, there, there was a a moment. And, and, you know, part of it was, I realized also that my, my need, I will put it that way, my intense intellectual curiosity And wasn't going to be satisfied at the level that I was at. So VP was kind of the next option at corporate. Yeah. And I thought, well, what if I go out and just do my own thing? And I just do launches. I didn't have any model for that. And, you know, 3% of creative directors in the United States are women. I had no model. But I was like, again, what do you do when you don't know what to do? You research, honey. So I researched and I researched and I researched. Um, I modeled it after um, a colleague of mine who's a male agency owner. But I'm like, whatever. You know, Mm -hmm. we have different gonads, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) Um, You know, I can use him as my model. So I did that. And then, honestly, what happened is my grandmother died, who was really my second mom. My parents, when they were separated, it wasn't working out. So I went and lived Mm -hmm. with my grandmother and my grandfather for many years. And so she was my second mom Yep. and she died heavy alcoholic. So she drank herself to death. Oh my goodness. Um, sorry. Yeah, it was rough. But you know, as she's lying there in that bed, this is at this point, I'm working at Nectar and I'm commuting four hours a day because they haven't fixed the bridge issues yet. um, Yeah. One of the bridges now that's not doesn't take so long. But regardless, I had a four year old daughter and I was commuting four hours a day. So I would be home just in time to tuck her into bed, and that was it. And I sat there watching my grandmother die and dying a little young, in my opinion, because of her choices. But Mm -hmm. I thought, you know, if that were you, would you be okay? And I'm like, oh, hell no. Yeah. Hell no. Like, the life that I'm living and the life that I want it to be living are so far apart right now. My values are so far apart. Yeah. Yeah. I would not be okay if I were suddenly be taken out and you know died next week. Yeah, and I thought okay, you need to do something to change that so that you know because at any time any of us can be taken out.
0: Right. Yeah. So you need
2: to bring your values and your life closer together.
0: Yeah. Right. And That meant starting my own business. Yeah.
1: And
2: I needed flexibility so bad. I just. I need
0: yeah. So your first business was essentially a marketing agency.
1: And is that Think Results mm-hmm. Marketing?
0: Yeah. Think Results Correct. Marketing. Yeah. yeah. So, Beautiful. so
2: 18 years I've been running that now.
0: Wow. wow. And so you special? do you yeah. specialize in science and tech or what do you specialize in?
2: In launches mostly. And then we do work with mostly um, biotech, science, green tech, okay. and high tech uh, clients. But we have – I've done toy technology clients – and services businesses, you know, there's a variety of folks that we have worked with. But because of even the fact that I was in Silicon Valley for 20 some odd years, the vast majority of companies that I have connections with are in those spaces. And that's where my expertise is. Plus, those are more complicated businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're more interesting to me.
0: I love how you've built something, too, that kind of takes advantage of your own unique like superpower right like your superpower mm-hmm. is to build marketing campaigns and have this marketing know-how while also understanding highly nuanced technical detail right and right. that's not a lot of people can do that so you're basically just focus focusing on launches because you understand that that's your superpower that is so smart
2: well it's the only way I think if you're going to build a business why don't you create it with all of the little pieces of the things that you like the most yeah
0: right like chuck out the rest you're not you're not going into business on your own so you can do shit that you hate
2: (laughs) exactly exactly you know I get to pick my clients I get to pick who I work with on my team I get to pick the kinds of projects that we do yeah I I literally I just just fired a client you know last last month because I'm like "Mm, it's not working yeah um and I do that. I'm like, you know, we've gotten to this point. We've given you this. And you now I think you need to find someone else. <laughs> yeah. Because if they're not kind of participating in the process and and you know, really being on board with it,
1: hmm.
2: go find someone else.
0: You know what's um, interesting? Yeah, I um I actually asked a question in the Female Founders Network Facebook group, um, not too long ago, like, what's your worst client story? And then and the ones that I heard people talk about were the ones where their expertise was undermined. Yeah. Like a styling person who asked for, you know, a client's measurements. And then the client came back with, well, I'll just style, you know, like as if, right. you know, she could kind of do the same job, you yes. know, job. Or um, we have a music teacher who once talked about how she lost a client because the the mom of the student said, well, I used to sing in high school. And this is like a, a world-class operatic um, mm-hmm. you know, world-trained um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> singing professional. And so it's interesting, like, in the creative, it's like one of the things I, we're hearing from creative, especially creative-minded professionals, mm. is, oh, well, I could do that. So, you know, from clients right. where you're because just when like, when we do
2: it and it looks huh. easy, everyone thinks, well, I can do that. Yeah. I can make a Rothko, too. Well, yeah, but you're not Rothko.
0: Yeah. You know what's interesting? Mm-hmm. Um, Paula Shear um, from Pentagram, I don't know if you know who she is, but she's um, she's incredibly talented. Look her up. She's just very, 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 very inspiring. But she said something really beautiful once, and it always sticks with me when when my expertise is being undermined in some way. And it's she said, when you hire me to do and pay me to do a project you don't pay me for the physical time it took me Mm. to come up with that concept you pay me for the decades that i spent learning to get this good Mm
1: -hmm. so that i could
0: do the project in that time you pay me for every movie i've watched every song i've listened to every single thing that i've been curious and basically that inspired like she didn't say it in those words but that's Mm -hmm. basically what she was saying you know um Mm -hmm. And I I think it's so interesting because that's what it is. Like when we – creative people think that their jobs are their calling and when we engage in this practice and choose it as our life's work, everything that we do is in order to get better, right? Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. And ideas come from everyone. I talk about that a lot when I'm working with my clients of like we need to make sure that the creative team has enough time to think and compost mentally because most of the work is not done – when they sit down and put the pen to paper, most right. of that work is done while they're taking a walk on the beach, yes. or where they're having a shower, or yes. they're driving, um, because their minds—I need to get these ideas into their minds and give their deep minds time to work mm-hmm. on your problem while they're making, while they're chopping onions and making dinner, because that is when it's actually happening, yeah. not when they sit down and put the you know design together or put the words together
1: yeah that's so true yeah so true like like to turn a creative person on and off like a switch just doesn't work either it like doesn't. you've got to be in that what? mind frame like <laughs> sit down and be creative yes. and think of a full creative plan for a launch like oh yeah it does happen when you're on a walk or chopping onions
0: And well, in corporate like corporate structure, traditional corporate structure is such there are so many linear linear thinkers Mm. in that structure that, you know, the person who seems to be like daydreaming or whatever and then comes up with some brilliant campaign, you know, there they often come up against. You know, a lot of problems in a traditional corporate structure. Like people, you know, they forget to answer an email or they do something else to piss people off. And, and they get, people get petty about those types of people and Mm -hmm. on teams, you know. And I've, I've been a boss to a lot of those people now, you know, and really admire and respect them. So it's, it's interesting um, to think about the ways that we can allow these humans to operate inside a company and be happy. You know, mm-hmm. with people who don't think like that. Do you?
2: And that a- was one of the big impetuses. Sorry for me to start Think Results. Yeah, because starting at PeopleSoft, um, especially because there, it's a that was a large culture of fear, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit less so at Nectar, but definitely at PeopleSoft. And I realized through my interactions, because I was doing the, um, the launch for the consulting organization, so I was interacting with, you know, the big five consulting agencies. And I realized that, oh, you know, the things that I'm seeing here, because at this point, this is my first corporate America job. Like, I studied for it. I read about corporate America. I had visions about what that was like. It was nothing like corporate <laughs> was actually like. But this is my first corporate America job. So I thought what was happening at PeopleSoft was unusual. No. No. (laughs) So what I was seeing is that, you know, the vast majority of the creative brilliance Uh was kept under wraps because Uh, it's terrible to make a mistake. Yeah, mm. right. Well, and I'm like, you can't run creative people, afraid to make mistakes. That, oh, my Lord, like, you've totally got this all past backwards. You've squashed You have it. to let them make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I thought, I need to create a place where people can bring all of that creative vision and wisdom and fall flat on their face. And, oh, okay, well, that didn't really go Let's figure out something else, you know. And do that whole process without making it a fearsome process. And I thought, well, I can do that. I'm pretty good at leading teams. So I can create a space that is safe for my creatives to work. Mm -hmm. So we can do awesome work for our clients and still have a normal life. Mm. That was sort of my big vision of Think Results, frankly. Yeah.
1: And it's worked. I was, well, just, that's beautiful. I was just gonna ask like, do you have a team at Think Results? Yes. And is this Absolutely. is this how you manage them? You've just kind of answered the question that I was gonna ask before about how you've taken Oops. your vision and what you felt was missing from business and put it into right. your own. I think that's that's one of the things that I wanted to do when I started my consultancy was, you know, I want to make sure that like freedom of time is something that's really important to me. Like you can be productive at different hours and it might not be in a traditional nine-to-five it might be at any time and having that freedom is something that's definitely important but i feel like companies seem to be changing a lot a lot with the pandemic like the whole Mm. work from home culture that's now sort of been quite pervasive in in every type of business that can work from home Mm. um So maybe the tide's changing a little.
0: Yeah, I think I I personally, and that's why I asked you the question earlier, Mm -hmm. Jen. It was because I didn't, I had 15 years in marketing, but it was all through like agencies. I was working for clients like Whole Foods and, you know, um, know, retailers, consumer goods brands, etc. And I actually switched to tech two years ago. So working mm. at a SaaS startup, you know, we have a lot of like young leaders, mm. um, you know, leaders in their 30s and things like that. And it is quite progressive um, yeah. where I work. Um, it's quite progressive. But I, I understand like certainly all of the places that I've worked have not been like that. So mm. I was wondering if tech mm. has really evolved that much, the tech industry in general.
2: Uh, maybe, I think there are pockets. Yeah. The the good thing is, is that many of the male leaders that are now coming to positions of power Mm -hmm. have grown up with a working mom. Yeah. And I think that makes a huge difference and not just the working mom and that she was, you know, doing Tupperware sales, like a serious professional working mom, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think that makes a huge difference because they- see the things but you know I still see it so my mom used to ask this question of her male executives when they said well we we help at home and she said well I'm not gonna beat you up for the help word in there but what you let's mean, just take help? for example <laughs>
0: you, right, help you help raise right? the child that is half yours right.
2: you help do right. the dishes exactly. you
0: dirtied <laughs> <What>? exactly so she <laughs> said I'm just gonna
2: let that go but just think <laughs> about that statement that y'all just made um but she said how many rolls of toilet paper do you have in your house and how many are in each bathroom ah <laughs> and they would go, what? She said, I guarantee you that each one of your wives knows exactly how many rows of the babies there are and how many there are in each one of your bathrooms if you have more than one bathroom in your house.
0: Uh-huh. And how long it's going to last and you and when she needs to go to the store. One <laughs> of
2: 150,000 things she's carrying in her head that you don't carry in your head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I hear you. Mm-hmm.
2: So I think I, it hasn't changed. I mean, I think yeah. that, that's sort of a, um, an inclination for women. Uh-huh. But it's also been put on us. Like we're seeing this in the pandemic, right? Uh-huh. You know, moms are plan B.
0: Yeah. The domestic labor, the the percentage mm-hmm. of domestic labor that is done. And the thing about it is now more and more, um, you know, women are the breadwinners of their families. I'm the breadwinner mm-hmm. of or like an equal breadwinner with my partner of my family, you know, and it's just like – we are doing that amount of work so we're we're striving mm-hmm. to be just as like successful and we're striving to be just as ambitious but then we're also carrying all of this like secretive domestic work that is it goes unnoticed and it's not that like it's not that there's some big plot i don't think amongst men to say like oh let's mm-hmm. let's make them do more things they just don't realize what they're not mm-hmm. doing <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know right. I mean? And that it's goes like, back to the conversation about creative labor. Yeah. So if your mind is filled with how many rolls of toilet paper there are and when the child needs their next yeah. vaccination shot and, you know, whether or not, you know, you've got a parcel for mom and for dad and for his mom and his dad yeah. and all those things in your head, there is not room for you to think about the problems in your business or in your work, which men have the luxury of doing. Yeah. So yeah. when my child left for college, one of my girlfriends said to me, you are going to find a big portion of your brain is suddenly available to you. And I'm like, she's 17. She can tie her shoes. She goes, I said, what are you talking about? She goes, just trust me. And, you know, to be fair, my child was a little bit more unusual than most. She's mm. a high needs child, special needs child. But, mm-hmm. you know, she's wonderful, but, you know, a little challenging for a lot of reasons. But super overly bright is her biggest problem. Right. So, you know, very sensitive. You questions know, has some, everything. Yes. You know, questions everything as <laughs> yeah. a child. And yeah. takes everything as her personal responsibility to fix. So yeah. carries a lot on her shoulders. That's yeah. not hers. So, you know, she was harder than most. To manage and I'm thrilled that she actually graduated from high school because our joke was that we're pretty sure she'll get a PhD, but we were never sure she'd graduate from, college, from high school. And so, anyways, <laughs> high school sucks. She, like she, it's it, it so sucked for you know a lot of kids. <laughs> for anyone who's too, not but, like
0: a cookie cutter, high school sucks. Yes, so it's fine. <laughs> and it's so sucked for
2: her. And yeah. so I was like the most relieved parent standing on that lawn in yeah in this, in this in the spring. But anyways, when she left for college, we partied. For a while and then I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel kind of ill every morning, honey. We have to like back this down a little with too much drinking and partying happening around here. I have work to do.
0: <laughs> this is um, at about what age? Like how old are you? I love this. <laughs> I was.
2: Um well that was she went off to college in gosh, when was that now? It was like four years ago. So I'd say forty nine.
0: Oh, uh, and you're like, Okay, yeah, so we're getting drunk.
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It <laughs> we're was gonna have a party. It was party like spicy food and you know too much drinking oh, yeah. and <laughs> margaritas <just goofing> off, <laughs> yeah, nice. running around, oh, you know, fun. doing all kinds of things that we wouldn't do when she was around. And, and yeah, it was just go, 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 and a little too much partying. So, anyways, I said, Okay, that's enough of that. And then I said, We have to get back to kind of some semblance of a normal schedule, or I'm gonna end up an alcoholic here. Yeah. So And then I was like, okay. So I started, I said, you need to write that book, Launching for Revenue. So I wrote that book. And then I wrote a second book. And people were like, well, how did you do that? And I'm like, my kid went off to college. I had this huge space in my head that was available. Mm. I could not have done that while I was trying to manage her. Yeah. And raise her. Yeah. There's no way. I just, I kept trying. I tried for years to start Launching for Revenue. Oh my but I God. I got it done when she went off to college. I got two books in one year done because my child wow. went off to college. I have. Been- so to me, that's like a visible example of yeah when you let that creative space free up, what's possible for women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Huh, that is crazy. And I love my kids, but you know, of course you do. They are a ton
0: of work. Isn't it funny how we feel the need when we talk about how hard motherhood is we uh, we immediately feel the need to to tell everybody how much yes. we love our kids <laughs> like it's just so like I have two sons I'm about to have a daughter um in oh my goodness. in March and I'm done um but you know it's it's a lot like I worry a lot of, as a mom with sons about like making them good men and good people yes. in a world that tempts them to not be you know, in a world that's like constantly, you know, and like the influence of others can kind of sway them, um, you know, in a direction that, you know, I, we don't want. Right. So it's like mm-hmm. I, I put a lot of time, energy, effort into making them successful and this and that. But not just that, but like kind people and good people who do mm-hmm. the right thing. Extra effort because they are boys, yes. you know, yes. and it's just it it takes a lot of mental an emotional work and it's, it's, um, you know, And every time I talk about how hard it is to be a mom and a feminist mom and a, a leader of women and raise sons to be the type of people who see the world equally and blah, 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 I immediately have to say, oh, but I love my boys. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm so glad I have right. two boys. And it's like, why do I feel uh, – clearly, I love them. Like, I wouldn't be doing right. this. Like, why do I feel the need to say that to people? Mm. It's like if yes. you say anything yes. negative at all about motherhood, you have to
2: or like – You're have, somehow a bad mother unless yeah. you say, I really, but I really love my children. Right, yeah, right. right. But yes. they're my
0: world. Well, they're part of my world. I've got a lot of things that
2: are my world. Yes. They're a big part.
0: But, you know, it's like, why yes. do we have to justify it? Mm, but they're know. not
2: the only thing, you know, right. which I think is important. And I think it's important to model that. I will tell you that many of the m- many of my friends who do have boys and not girls like I had, um, who have put that kind of Intensity and focus on making sure that they are good men who yeah. know how to support their partners that are, have done an awesome job with their sons. So I think having that intention, just as I had that intention with my girl, to make sure that she understood that things that were forced on her as a girl were not necessarily required.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Like, you don't right. owe people pretty. You don't know people smiles. You know, no. women don't owe you that. Mm-hmm. You know, women can be direct with you. They're not being bitchy. They're not being mean. They're being direct. You're you don't owe anyone a hug all of the, or a kiss. Yeah, right. You don't owe forced mm-hmm. affection. That's the other mm-hmm. thing. You know, and like my my son is, my oldest son is a freshman in high school. So now we're talking a lot about consent. You know, and what yes. that means, and you know, he's got a girlfriend now, and all of this stuff, and we
2: have those conversations. Have you seen the tea video?
0: No, I haven't seen the tea. Okay, you got to go look
2: up the tea video. <laughs> look up the tea. I think it came out of Britain. It's fabulous. Is it? So it's basically a oh, whole I've video about this. consent yeah, okay. and the tea. It's and, 17. you know, you change your mind. You don't want the tea anymore. You can, You don't open their mouth while they're sleeping and pour the tea down. You know, like, yeah. it's, it's so great it's because brilliant. it's like, it's about tea, but it's not, right? But it's not <laughs> about <But> it's, tea. <laughs> it's so clear because it's like, well, if you insert... You know, sex for tea. Well, tea <laughs> is simple. So what what's the difference? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. I don't care right. if she was it's texting brilliant. about tea all day, honey. If she decides right. she doesn't want tea in that moment, she doesn't want tea. <laughs> right.
2: Awesome. And if she has half her teacup and then she decides she wasn't on the rest, then you can't make her drink the rest. Exactly. <laughs> right.
1: That's the it consent's not just at the beginning. Yeah. I think that's a really important point as well. But you can moms, change your mind.
0: Yeah. But mums have that's... to talk about their this with their sons and it's mm-hmm. awkward and it's hard. Absolutely. And it's really, really hard to even think that your son your precious little boy Mm. might do this right? yeah right but we have to face that reality and it's hard and it's mental Well, you do because
2: their influence is encouraging them to behave that way outside of you right Right. so you have to counter that that's how i thought about you know when my daughter went through the princess phase and wouldn't wear anything but seven layers of tulle and pink yeah (laughs) okay i was just like oh my goodness what (laughs) has <laughs> happened to you, you were, I, I don't know where this came from she once said to me she had some shoes that were uncomfortable and I said well we'll get you a bigger pair she said Mom, sometimes you just have to suffer to be beautiful
1: oh Ooh. no oh my god and that she's was like four do you do I you <laughs> we had this conversation about Cinderella and I was like I was saying to you now wasn't I that yeah like, Cinderella gave me this thing about like feet your feet, and that I have big feet. I've, I'm a US eight, so it's not that big. But I had this like I think it's this like Cinderella syndrome thing of like only small feet are beautiful and feminine, mm-hmm. and like petite small, like, women, yeah, are and that beautiful was that and film. feminine. And then the ugly sisters had big feet that couldn't fit in the shoe. Like it must be down mm-hmm. to, to
2: references like that.
1: It's very mm-hmm. it's so strange. Very yeah, but, um, yeah.
2: So you have to counteract mm-hmm. that with, you know, I know that's what the outside world is telling you, but this is what is true. This is yeah. what is real. And, you know, it's frustrating because you think, especially when you get to be teenagers, they think they have not heard a word I said. It's not a word I said. <laughs> but now that she's in her early 20s, I'm like, look at
0: that. Oh my she's making some decisions you think back on <laughs> uh-huh. I mean if we each think back on like what our parents told us yeah. you know they they tried most parents try their best <laughs> most parents mm-hmm. they might have some ma- crappy things going on in their own lives they might have some unresolved issues of their own blah 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 but they're still trying their best they still mm-hmm. most parents love their kids enough to try their best right so like the things like, that they told you typically come from a good place you know right. like my mom when I was you know Uh, mothering the my my sons she always used to repeat the thing that her mom said that her mom said to her so it's my great grandmother opal's (laughs) words and it's honey if you don't take care of yourself you can't take care of anybody else she'd say that every single time that she saw me exhausted working too much you know this and that and the other she'd say stop it take care of yourself and i'd be like oh but mom i want this promotion i need this money i need this i need that the boys need this. And she's like, stop, you've got to take care of yourself. And it was the most yes. wise thing, wise piece of advice I've ever gotten. But I rejected
2: it for years, Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because you have to learn it for yourself and get it in your own gut. And then you can take it forward.
1: Yeah, you've got so, to. So was it when your daughter left for college you wrote the books. And then is that when you started Changing Tides Movement, which is another one of your businesses? Yes.
2: Ah. yes. So Launching for Revenue is sort of you know, the 20-year, I need to write a book, I need to write a book, I need to write a book. Um, basically, it is a summation of 20 years in doing launches and doing our own launches, doing research about launches, whether it was my own or it was from other people's research on launches. Um, so got that one done. And in the midst of writing that, I wrote Changing Tides. And that's a whole other story about how that happened. But then once the book got published, the feedback that I got from female founders was, this is great and it's really inspiring and it's very helpful and it helps me to think about how I can, you know, be more effective as a female founder. And also part of that book is about changing ecosystems so working with funders as well. Mm -hmm. But the request from female founders was, we need more spaces, places, and times to come together, to connect, collaborate, and co-create. Right. And I said, well, I can do that. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. then Change of Ties Movement was born, which has programs and resources and connections to those female founders and funders and male funders and who are investing in female founders because it's a better ROI business case to do so. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what the programs are designed is to create the resources, the connections, everything that female founders need to start keep and grow their businesses, whether yeah. they are, you know, I hate that term, lifestyle businesses, but whatever. They are businesses that are, you know, three, two, three, five X businesses that will go on for a long time, which is more typical of women, mm-hmm. or they are, you know, the, the quote unquote BC backable growth businesses, which is a small proportion of businesses overall mm-hmm. and even smaller for women. But, you know, they need different things, those different kinds of businesses, and they're both valid. Because there's a little bit, at least in Silicon Valley, sort of my experience, if you're not raising money from a VC, you're you're shit, (laughs) basically. You know, whatever you're doing is uninteresting.
1: Right. Even bootstrapping and like.
2: Like, if you're bootstrapping and you're raising money through what I call the good old-fashioned method of customer acquisition, people <laughs> look down their noses at you as somehow less than. I mean, Christina Stumble, who's the founder of Farm Flowers, just spoke at our, our conference in November, and she talks about this. She said, like, literally, I will be at a networking event. I talk to someone. I tell them I'm bootstrapping. She said, they literally look over my shoulder for the next person to talk to. Interesting.
0: As if I I do you know Nasty Gal the clothing line it was a clothing line for a long time she just shut down but she talked about how she built her b- a no debt business mm. I remember l- l- apparently
1: she coined the term girl boss did she mm. huh oh.
0: I don't know how I feel about that <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. probably made sense in the era in which she coined it
1: yeah. Hmm. how do you feel about the term girl
2: boss
0: yeah tell us Jen what do you think
2: I mean I have the same reaction it's like it's kind of fun but it's like can I just be a boss yeah (laughs) can I just be a fucking boss please (laughs) Right. mind you I do carry a a water bottle that says (laughs) boss babe on it that a friend gave to me but yeah you know it's like can I just be boss but I've kind of given up on that to be honest because years ago you know I I had um, some coaching and direction to sort of move into this because I had a lot of passion around situation for women a lot of experience with yeah. women's science, women in tech. And I'm like, I don't want to be on the women's lists. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I just want to yeah, be. I just want to be on the list. best CEO list. Yeah, right. It's interesting. Right? I have this. Um, well, boss babe. Okay, I have. I've got to admit, I've got some affection for because mm-hmm. you know how much work it takes to stay to be a boss and also stay a babe and like, take care of yourself <laughs> and exercise. I do every that day. part less well now. But <laughs> <laughs> it takes so much work. So I'm like, yes, call oh, yeah. me a boss babe because it took a lot of work to stay in shape. Well. To running be this a fucking right. company. Like it's so hard. <laughs> right. Like, yes. um, but you know, I think that's I think girl boss is just kind of demeaning. It just feels like yes. unless you are literally like 18, 19 years old and you've started a company. Yeah. Which most women yes. are not. Yeah. You know. Right.
2: If you're twelve and you're running a company, I think girl boss is appropriate. But if you're right. over eighteen mm-hmm. running a company, can we drop the girl part? I, yeah.
1: I've noticed mm-hmm. as well that we tend to refer to groups of women as groups of girls but then men Mm -hmm. grown women yeah but men are always men the lads men men and girls I would say the lads yeah I I find that quite interesting yeah um, we digress a little I really wanted to um ask you Jen seeing as obviously you specialize in launches and you do all this amazing stuff for female business owners like what your best advice is for launching a new product or service and getting all that together
2: yes so the, the biggest mistake that I see people making is that they don't give enough time for their launches. Mm. So we did a survey several years ago and wanted to see if sort of broader in the industries um, were, were we seeing the same kind of trends we saw with our clients, which is exactly what we do see. You know, we've done launches in as little as two weeks. I don't recommend that. <laughs> um, so we asked people, how long was your last launch? And the majority of folks said it was between one and three months planning time. And then we asked them if you could go back and adjust that, you know, would you make it shorter and longer? You know, kind of what would you change it and give them some options? And the vast majority of folks said we would make it three to six months. And that's exactly what we see with our clients is Silicon Valley runs on kind of hyperscale time. So Mm. we do often get the phone calls, you know, like in December that says we want to launch in January. And I'm like, hmm. Well, it's going to take us a week, probably on average, you're for eighteen years You get a contract together, um, and get the agreement done, and then you got to get payment handled, and then we have to brief the team, and you know it's not going to happen. Yeah. Can just, it's not going to happen. You cannot make things go that quickly. Um, I have been trying to bend the physics continuum for now two decades. I have not been able to do it. Um, there just is a certain amount of time it takes to organize and orchestrate a properly executed launch, and that is three to six months. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then I think the other thing is that I see this a lot in Silicon Valley is what I, you know, what's often termed the solution, looking for a problem product. Ah, So (laughs) it's like, who is this for? I don't know, but it's really cool. Yeah. Okay. We we need to talk about that. Like (laughs) who wants to buy this? (laughs) Right. Because that leads to all kinds of other problems. So if you don't know who is likely to buy this and who has the budget and the ability to sign the check to buy it, whether it's a $10 product or a $10,000 product or a $100,000 product, If you don't know who that is, then your positioning doesn't work, which is usually the problem that I see is the positioning is aimed at someone other than the person who has the ability to sign a check and buy the product. Yeah, that's never going to work. And so if you get that right, I'm having this conversation with one of my starts right now is trying to get really clear on where she is aiming her product. Because once you are really clear on who that is, then everything else flows from that. And if you don't get that right, then everything else that you do will will never quite land. Mm. And that will probably lead you to failure.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Well, and it's it's amazing to me that so many people start businesses without thinking, is this thing viable? (laughs) Like, you know, it's just like they'll put all of this money into it and like, okay, who's gonna pay money for this? You know, who's going to who's who's looking for this right now? And if they're not looking for it. Like what's going to make them look for it, or what's going to make them
2: use it? And it's just right. really, and really is, simple. How is their life going to be better as a result of what we right. created? Because there probably is an answer, but if you don't have that answer, you're gonna everything's just going to be like you know pushing spaghetti up a hill.
0: Yeah, mm. <laughs> definitely. Interesting.
1: Um, where where can we find more about you and um, how to do a successful launch and the Changing Tides movement? Can you share? Um. Yes. Those details of us.
2: Yes. So the best way to find information about the launch process and Think Results is at Think Results with an S Marketing I'll out, dot com. It's a long one, so Think Results with an S Allspelled Marketing dot com. And there actually is an online quiz there, a, a sort of a mini version of our launch readiness assessments, so people can do that in like less than five minutes and get an assessment of kind of how ready they are, mm-hmm. which elements they're strong on, which elements might need some more shoring up. So it's a quick answer for them. And then on Changing Tides, you can find us at changingtidesmovement.com. Seemed seem to have a lot of long URLs, changingtidesmovement.com. And that has all of our information about our programs, our membership levels, um, sponsorships, events, all virtual, of course, um, that are going on and ways to get involved. Plus, there's a great resources page that we add data about female founders there. Great resources for female founders in terms of COVID-19 resources that are available to them now. Um, and we're constantly updating that in our newsletter. We push that stuff out as well. So it's a great way if you're just looking for more resources and you're not ready to kind of you know, be part of our community, mm-hmm. sign up for the newsletter. You get all this free information sent to you, you know, deadlines for incubators, all that kind of stuff is available in our newsletter. Awesome.
1: That's so great. Oh, well, Jen, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm sure we could go on for hours and hours. We could. (laughs) We definitely could. (laughs) But um, yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Keep in touch. Chat soon.
0: Bye. This
1: podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go.
0: We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. We're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current U.S. pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just enter the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.